Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. We're going to shift our three Sunday morning services back one half hour. So the 8.30 service will be at 9. The next service will be at 10.30. And then the last outdoor service will be at 12 o'clock noon. And our reason for doing this is real simple. We need a better disbursement of the congregation through the three services, especially the two indoor services. So really what I'm saying is I need a bunch of you guys to go to the 9 a.m. service. Um, And the reason that we want to do that is to make space so that the church can continue to grow. So we're going to see if that uh, works for our church family, uh, but that'll be starting on May 15th. So 9 o'clock, 10.30, right in here, and then 12 o'clock outside. So pray about what service you should be a part of. Maybe you just want to rotate it and be a part of all three, but um, come on out and figure out which service you'll be uh, going to. Okay, today our scripture reading of Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28 is going to be given to us by Professor Pat Hawks. Pat, step on up. Pat is a uh, science teacher at Trinity High School and uh, is also a musician. I'm sure you guys have seen him up here on the platform playing different instruments. He's a real talented guy. So him and his wife, Lauren, we're really blessed that they're part of the church uh, here. So let's get into the word together in Genesis chapter one. So in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. I pray for you. Father, we come before you today. We want to pray for Pat and uh, his wife, Lauren, their, Lord, marriage and family. We ask, Lord, that you'd bless them greatly. Lord, today, as we think about the work, place, and career, we pray for his, Lord, and we ask that you'd continue to bless the work of his hands, that you give him favor with the students that he serves and the families, Lord, that are represented there in the school, and uh, Lord, that you'd really use his life in great ways there. And we pray, Father, collectively for every person in our church who's part of the educational system here locally, Lord, teachers and staffs at various schools, we pray, Lord, Your hand of blessing on them. Give them endurance, Lord, at this part of the year. Help them to push forward to that uh, summertime and that graduation season. And uh, Lord, have your hand upon them, we pray. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your word today, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. We pray, Lord, that you'd teach us and instruct us about the lives that you've asked us to live here on earth by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thanks, man. All right, well, this morning we're going to begin a a four-week special study or series uh, about work and the workplace 
that I've called uh, Wholehearted Work. And I've taken that title from something that Paul said about work to Christians in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 23, he said, whatever you do, and this is in the context of whatever work you do, do it heartily, work heartily, he said, as for the Lord and not for men. So today, what we're going to consider is we're going to consider why work matters. What does God and theology and scripture have to do with work? Why does this matter in God's sight? Uh, next week, we're going to think about why work is hard. So if your work life has always been easy, uh, you could skip next week. But for the rest of us who feel those limitations in our workplace, we're going to think about why work is hard. Uh, and then we're going to think about how to do good work as Christians. How can we take biblical principles and concepts and import them into the work that we're doing with our hands for the blessing of this earth. And then finally, we're going to think about and spend a day thinking about money and work and how the two uh, correlate together. Is money a moral neutral in God's sight? Is it morally evil? Is it morally good? How are we to view it? And how does it intersect with the work that we're doing uh, with our hands? Now, a good question to ask in starting any series, but in this series particular, is to ask, why should we take time for this subject? Why should we take time to think about work? And I hope that part of that answer is given with this teaching today, why work matters. But I think for me, there's two significant reasons why I want to talk to you about this. And I've wanted to share this with you guys for a couple of years now. And the first reason is biblical, and the second reason is pastoral. Biblically, there's a lot, especially in the letters of the New Testament, that tells us as Christians how to represent ourselves in the workplace, that tells us how we should be conducting our work. Uh, for instance, in multiple letters, Paul took time, like to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, to talk to the workers in the church and the management that is represented in the churches that he served. Uh, in other letters, Paul rebuked people in the church who were able to work but unwilling to do so and told them to work quietly and provide for their needs and the needs of their dependents in places like 1 Timothy chapter five and six and first and second Thessalonians. And Paul even wrote a whole letter, the book of Philemon, that is dedicated to reconciling uh, really a management and staff or a master and a servant in Philemon and Onesimus. And Paul wasn't the only one who wanted to talk about this in the New Testament. Uh, James in his letter said a lot of things about money and work, including in instructing those who were wealthy how to conduct and plan their business pursuits, the attitude as Christians that they should bring into it. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, told the church that the way that they worked was a witness to Jesus' lordship over their lives and a way to imitate Jesus' example. And even John got in on it in 3 John by instructing the church 
at least in part, what to do with their paychecks, that at least in part, we should be supporting gospel workers who are proclaiming Jesus throughout the world. So part of my reason for wanting to get into this study is just because I like the Bible. And as I'm scanning the truth of scripture, this seems to be a theme that God is interested. Specifically, God seems to want pastors to talk about this subject to their congregations. In 1 Timothy chapter six, after telling Pastor Timothy about proper workplace dynamics for Christians, Paul told Timothy, teach and instruct on these things. So I have a specific biblical responsibility and mandate to be talking to you about what you do in your quote unquote nine to five. But I have more than a biblical reason for wanting to do this. I think it's just a pastoral reason. It's real simple, I care about you guys. I want you to see your Christianity as being something that travels well, that goes with you into every environment of your life, not something that you have to leave in the church parking lot to pick up the following Sunday or at life group or whenever you open your Bible or pray, but something that is applicable with what you spend a major or significant portion of your life doing. And what I'm hoping for is to encourage and exalt uh, the work that you are doing in your life, hoping that you can see how it connects with God's plan for the world. Uh, But also I'm hoping that by spending a little bit of time talking about this, it becomes a little more second nature to me. Have you ever had the experience where you are trying to find out what somebody else does, and as they're describing their job to you, it's like one of those jobs where you just don't understand still what it is that they do. I have that experience a lot with many of you, like, okay, I, I don't understand what you do, and probably a lot of you don't understand what I do. Probably a lot of you think like, man, you got a really easy job. You just show up on Sunday morning, talk for a few hours, and that's it. <laughs> And one of the things I've noticed in my time as a pastor is that sometimes when I'm trying to apply the word, and I think it's a spirit's job to apply the word of God to each individual life, so I don't bear the full responsibility for making sure that I get into every little minute area or category of life. But one thing I've noticed is that it's easier for me to riff about how God's word might impact your relationships, your walk with him, your marriage, if you're married. But what I'd like to be able to do is more easily talk about how, you're, how the word of God impacts your workplace because that's so much of what we are as people and what we do with our time and lives. Now, I know it's not our custom to do a study like this that's a little more topical in nature. We're gonna pick a text each week and I'll launch from it to share the word with you about work. Uh, And after we're done with this series, I'm already planning our next expositional adventures. I'm going to be taking you through the book of Habakkuk and then some Psalms and then the book of Jonah together. And I'm already looking forward to that. But I thought since we spend so much time in our work, let's take a month to think about how the scripture informs our workplaces. Now, I want to say to you that I'm gonna try to talk to those of you who are both paid for your work and unpaid for your work. 
Uh, what you need to know is that God is a worker. I'm gonna talk about that in a moment, and he's never been paid for it. So if you're volunteering, if you're, if you're staying at home, caring for little children or someone that's uh, elderly in your family or household um, or retired but yet still busy, uh, there is so much that God's word still says to you even if your work is unpaid uh, in nature. And if you are retired, my hope and prayer, I talked to one gentleman this morning, he said, I wish I had heard these things at the beginning of my career. He's had a very successful career. He said, I wish I'd heard these things at the beginning of my career because they're all true and I wish I'd have just known them at the outset. But my heart and hope is that those of you who are in those years of your life where you're looking back on the bulk of your career years, that the word of God would become embedded in your heart so that as you're mentoring the next generation, you're able to point them in the right direction, showing them what the Bible has to say about work and career. All right, so today, let's think about this question, why does work matter? Why does work matter? Now, I realize this is a very privileged question for us to be asking. For most of the world, in most places and times, the answer to the question, why does work matter, the answer is real simple, survival. I gotta do whatever I can do to put food on the table or clothes on my back or shelter over my head. But we're in a different kind of time and place. That might be the raw, basic answer still for us. But there are more nuanced answers that we could give, and we should take that privilege as an opportunity to bring honor and glory to God. So here's the first reason I want to say to you about why work matters. Number one, work matters because work is godly. Number one, work is godly. Uh, the passages around Genesis 1, 26 to 28 help us understand this. The Bible starts with God on six consecutive days creating, he's working. He speaks, he names, he divides the light from the darkness, the day from the night. He makes distinctions among the species. He creates different categories. He organizes everything that is. He makes useful materials and embeds them into the earth for humanity to discover so that we might flourish later on. He fine-tunes a planet for our enjoyment, but also for our cultivation. He makes species after species. In other words, God is presented right at the very beginning as a worker. In fact, this is reiterated on the seventh day when it says in Genesis 2 verse 3 that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And after God rested from his work, he took the man, Adam, and he put him to work, gave him the job of cultivating the garden that he had placed him in, tending the garden. So work was not something that occurred after sin entered into the world, but something that Adam was engaged in before, while the world was still in its perfect form and state. So the whole context of our passage today shows us God as a worker. And since our passage tells us that we are made in his image, meant to represent him, and since he is a worker, then we also should have that mentality. We want to produce with our lives. We want to work. 
Now, the concept of God as, a, as the first worker, this is an important concept because I think if we're honest, a lot of us are prone to make a false distinction between the sacred and the secular. We might not use those words, sacred and secular, but we create this false distinction in our minds. So in this false view, things like church attendance or prayer or Bible study or getting together with your life group, these are the things that are sacred and godly and that God has things to say about. But things like your education, or earning wages, or starting a business, or managing your career, a lot of times in this view, we think of that as secular and human. But the book of Genesis shows us a God who, who does work and then invites his people to work as he does. And in the pinnacle of God's revelation. What is the, what's the pinnacle of God's revelation? The pinnacle of God's revelation is Jesus, amen? When Jesus came, he came to express the image of who God is perfectly. And when Jesus arrived to planet Earth and grew into adulthood, what did he do till he was about 30 years of age? Did the Son of God, did God the Son, you know, come like a mystic, who lived in isolation? Did he come like a monk who lived in a monastery? Did he come like an intellectual who lived in a library? No, he apprenticed, more than likely, under his father Joseph, learned how to become a carpenter to work with his hands, which probably meant in the region that he was in, being a stone worker, a, a mason, and he became the town carpenter. He fixed things, he repaired things, he built things, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea about how this worked either. It wasn't like he just decided one day, like, I'm going to become a carpenter, and this miraculous ability to carve a chair out of rock like came into his body. That's not how it worked. He learned, he failed, he struggled, he picked up the trade, and he became good at it for the glory of of his father in heaven. And this portrayal of God as a worker, you gotta know this, it's a major difference between Christianity and many other religions in the world. Many other religions see work as a necessary evil, something that we can't wait to get rid of once eternity comes in whatever form eternity takes in various religions. That's not true of the Bible. The Bible sees God as a worker and his people as workers. Jesus, when he arrived, said, my father is working until now and I am working. And this attitude from Jesus to be willing to do the work of a carpenter, this was contrary to the culture that he entered into. Greek thought and the Roman way of life thought of carpentry or manual labor as beneath them for the lower classes, but not for Jesus. Ben Witherington said it this way, he said, the wealthy Roman upper classes in Jesus's day had an aversion to dirty jobs, the kind that get your hands and your clothes soiled. Not so ancient Jews like Jesus and Paul, who saw the dignity in manual labor of all sorts. Paul had no problem being a tent maker or leather worker. And that's true. There were times that Paul paid for his gospel ministry through 
uh, this trade of working with leather and making tents. And then he goes on to say, and Jesus had no problem with being a carpenter, and neither should we. All right, so the first point, we should see that work matters because it's godly. It's what God is like. We're created in his image to express what he's like to all of creation. God's a worker, and as Ephesians 5 verse 1 tells us, we should imitate him if we're Christians. So we will work in some way because it is God-like. Okay, the second reason that work matters that I want to share with you today, we actually sang about it a little bit earlier today with that beautiful song from Dominic. The second reason is that that work matters is because of Christ's kingdom. Because of Christ's kingdom. Now, where I get this from this passage comes in God's statement that he would, he said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them, it goes on to say. And then he went on to say that we human beings should subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Those Two phrases, subjection and dominion, they help us understand what God thinks when he thinks about us bearing his image here on earth. Because in ancient times, when a king uh, invaded a place and took it over, if he was ruling it from afar, what he would do is he would take an image or a statue of himself and put it in that foreign land so that the populace in that foreign place, could look at the image of that king, a king that lived far away, and understand, oh, he and his kingdom is in authority here in this place. So in the Bible's context, God is the king who is the king over a faraway land, the earth, and he puts his people, us, his subjects, on earth to bear his image, to have uh, the ability to have dominion and authority over the creation that God has given to us. Now, of course, the problem with this is that humanity sinned. And so when we sinned and death came into our species, uh, we marred the image of God. Romans chapter 1 tells us that everybody knows that there is a God, but that that truth is suppressed by so many of us. But when Jesus came, what did he say? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus comes in and his beautiful announcement is, yes, God made you in his image. Yes, through sin, that image was tarnished, but now I have made a way for you to be redeemed by God, to be saved by God, to be cleansed by God, and to become his image once again. And so I will be your king and you will be part of my kingdom. So what that means is that Christians consider themselves as citizens of Christ's kingdom right now today. Not just in the future, but today. And because the Bible has plenty to tell us about how we should work, our feeling as Christians is, my king has a lot to say about how I do my job. So what does this mean? Well, because he made us in his image and he told us to have dominion to represent his image and because he died and rose for us to restore his image in us, 
Our work can be a way to live out Jesus's kingdom. This is important. He's traveling with us into our workplaces. He's directing, wants to direct the way that we conduct our work. And this is important because a lot of us have adopted a part-time Christian perspective. You know, the perspective that says, you know, well, I'm at church or when I'm talking to my pastor or when I'm sharing a prayer need, you know, at a prayer meeting, those are the moments when I'm gonna behave like a Christian. But when I go to work, I got to be more cutthroat than that. I got to take off the Christian cloak and I got to do things in a different way in order to survive that environment. But Christ's gospel and leadership are so good and so demanding of our every moment. So we've got to ditch the part-time Christian perspective and see our work environment as as another place where Jesus' kingdom is expanding. Now, this idea, this thought, also draws out the concept that there are some kinds of work that are not conducive to Jesus' kingdom. I mean, it helps us understand that there are ways that we would work that are not conducive to Jesus' kingdom. So you might have a job that's totally acceptable for Jesus' kingdom, but if you're showing up late all the time, if you're uh, skipping work all the time, if you're doing a terrible job all the time, that is what's not conducive to Jesus' kingdom. But there are just some professions that as a Christian, you either can't do or you need to alter in order to be able to do them. There are careers and businesses that entangle people in sexual sin. There are careers and businesses that entangle people or urge people towards substance abuse or addiction. There are careers and businesses that cultivate people's financial greed and bring them into financial ruin or despair. And businesses like that or careers like that, for instance, can't coexist with Jesus's kingdom values. I noticed recently that uh, Netflix, they've got a documentary right now that they're running, and it's all about the highly sexualized and racist way in which an early 2000s clothing line became incredibly popular. And if a Christian was working in that kind of environment, they'd either have to say, as a believer, I can't be part of this company, or they'd have to aggressively from the inside, try to combat the direction that the company was going in and take care of themselves and say, I've got to represent Jesus at the very least in the department and the responsibility uh, that I'm in and have. So let's be people who represent King Jesus in our workplaces. Okay, but a third reason that work matters is this. The third reason work matters is because of love, because of love. What we're looking at in this passage is the idea that we are made in God's image. Well, what does the Bible say God is like? John says in 1 John chapter 4, he says, God is love. So if we're to bear his image here through the world, then we are to not only love God, but we're to love other people. You remember, of course, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to talk to you about this for a second because I think that a lot of you, you haven't really thought through yet about how much your work 
is a way for you to love your neighbor uh, as yourself. So let's think about a few ways that that might be true. One simple way is this. When, when you work well, what at the very core of it are you doing? At the very core of it, you're providing for your own needs, aren't you? You know, you're putting food on your own table, clothing on your own back, shelter over your own head. You're providing for yourself. In a sense, that is love towards your neighbor. Because if you don't take care of yourself, then someone else will be obligated to pick up the slack for you, to take care of you. But second, when you work well, as a way to provide not just for yourself, but perhaps for your people, for others, you're also loving others, perhaps like your own children, but you're also loving your society because if you don't do that for your children, then someone else is going to have to take care of that responsibility for you. So in a sense, by working well, you are loving your, your society and the people around you. But have you ever thought about how your work also provides for people beyond just yourself or your family? You know, when you work, you're helping, if you have a boss, you're helping provide for your boss. When you work, you're helping to provide, if you have fellow workers, coworkers, you're helping to provide for them. And hopefully in your work, you're producing something that people in the community say, man, that's valuable to me. I'm willing to pay for that. I'm thankful that you have produced that. It makes my life a little bit better. So these can be ways in which we are loving others. You know, as a pastor here, uh, I'm conscious of this in the work that I do. You know, I have coworkers like you do. And my coworkers depend on me, and I depend on my coworkers. It would negatively impact their lives if I went home tonight and said, you know what, I'm gonna change things up a little bit. I think for the next few years, I'm not gonna read any books, I'm not gonna study, I'm not gonna plan any teachings, I'm just gonna get up there on Sundays, and I'm gonna wing it for a few years. After a while, you guys would be like, man, I'm going to go find a pastor who takes his job seriously, and it would negatively impact my coworkers because this is their livelihood as well. So the way that we work has an impact on the world that we live in and the people that we work with. But another way that your work is love for your neighbor or can be love for your neighbor is, listen to this, it's by the society that is further developed through your work. What I mean is that when you're working well, you're producing something for your community, something for your society. And when you do that, theoretically, the quality of life is increasing for everybody else. This is a this society-building kind of focus of work, I think it should be seen as a great way to do what Paul the Apostle said, to remember the poor, for instance. You know, the Bible teaches that we should um, take care of those who are in need. 
And so for us as Christians, we think about that in the terms of, you know, giving food or money or clothing or shelter to those who have an immediate need. And that's good. We should be doing that. But when we, through our work, build a society, we're providing more than just a short-term solution, but something that is more long-term in nature. Consider, for instance, a Christian business owner who makes wise and calculated decisions and they expand their business, they expand their profits, what are they going to do? They're gonna hire people who were out of work or needed better work into their company. Through their profits, they're gonna pay those people and give them better benefits. This is another, and I think you could say better and more permanent answer to so much of the poverty that we experience in our world today. And so it is loving to build a society together. Another way that your work can be love for your neighbor is when you think as a Christian about the ramifications of your work. In other words, how does your work, what you do, impact future generations or impact the world at large? You know, some businesses, of course, prey on people's desire for quick happiness. It's kind of how we're wired. We want it all now. We don't want to wait for it. And some businesses have preyed on people that are wired that way and encourage them to rack up crippling debt. Some businesses prey on people's insecurities and sell them things that they don't even need. But if you, if you have this, you'll be satisfied. Or if you have this, you'll be accepted. Some businesses prey on people's laziness and cause them to waste their lives away. You know, we live in a broken and fallen world. There's not gonna be any business on the face of the earth that always beautifully, accurately represents God's kingdom values. But Christians should be thinking about the ramifications of their individual role and work. You know, for instance, I've really enjoyed the last couple of years and the way that a lot of social media companies uh, like Facebook, through especially the huge Wall Street Journal expose last year, or Instagram along with them, or YouTube and others, I like how they've been called out for the tactics that they use to quite often foster addiction to their services. In their business model, you and me are the product. Our eyeballs are the product. And their customers are those who want to sell ads to us, to try to get us to buy their things. So the goal is to keep us online as long as possible. So what do they have to do to get that to happen? Well, the salacious, the sensuous, the outrageous, the misinformation has to flow and circulate so that we'll stay in that space to make the advertisers happy. But what's become the result of all of that time online. You know, they told us it would lead to a beautiful human utopia where we would all understand each other, be able to work problems out together in that online space. That's not really what's happened. It's the exact opposite. And I think that a Christian in that environment would have to ask questions about, is it okay for me to be here? What can I do to combat this in some small way, at least, in my area of influence? Christians need to think through how their work is impacting others. You know, while I'm talking about this, some of you who have a sensitivity to this might be wondering if this would include considering the ramifications 
of our work if our work was harmful to the environment. Uh, now, our passage tells us that the world was created by God and that God took the raw creation and gave it to us to cultivate for human flourishing. But this doesn't mean that we should ruin God's creation either. And a lot of people are sensitive to this today. And some people have erred on the side of worshiping creation or trying to be one with creation or leaving it always and exclusively in its untouched state or letting it go back to its untouched state. But Christians reject either of those extremes. We don't want to ruin it, but we also don't want to worship it. What we want to do is see ourselves as stewards of something that God entrusted into our care to manage. So we should be thinking about what we're doing and how it impacts the next generations. And so at times, it will take wisdom and self-restraint. At other times, it'll mean that we need to sacrifice and responsibly develop. But we should be thinking about what is this doing now and tomorrow. And then finally, one last way to love others with our work is by testifying of Christ in our workplaces. Now, for a lot of Christians, this might have been like the only thought at the beginning of this teaching. How can you use your work to love other people? Well, like maybe I start a Bible study there. Or maybe I pray for everybody there and I look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. And these are great and beautiful things. And in some workplaces, you'll be able to do that. Uh, in some workplaces, you'll not be able to do that. Some of you all have jobs from time to time where you're working long hours side by side with someone else and you can just talk about all kinds of things and you get close over time and eventually your faith and your life in Christ you know, comes out and, and you're able to share the reason for the hope that's inside of you. I think all of us should be praying for those opportunities. God, give me a chance to share the love of Jesus with my coworkers. I wanna be able to represent you really well. And I should say, just as a qualifier, that the first thing you should do is become really good at what you do, and then you should share the gospel. If you're showing up late or lazy or a terrible worker, uh, leave the gospel sharing to another Christian in your workplace. <laughs> Maybe keep that to yourself for a little bit, and then later, after you get good at what you do, begin looking for that opportunity. But this is a beautiful way to love through our work. There will always be hostility against Jesus and the gospel in our world. That's a biblical fact. But what I want you to know is that the Bible teaches that sometimes the quality of our work will disarm that hostility. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 2.15, he said, this is the will of God for your workplace, that by doing good there, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So our work is a way to love others by providing for ourselves and those we love. It's a way to build a society together. It's a way to consider the ramifications of our work and to testify of Christ in and through our work. Okay, but a fourth reason why work matters is because it sanctifies us. Well, sanctification, if you don't know, is the process that you immediately begin going through after you become a Christian. Just because you're in Christ, saved by Christ, just because he died for you and rose from the dead for you and forgave you of all of your sins doesn't mean that you automatically begin acting like Jesus. 
You might know Jesus, but you don't yet act like Jesus. It's not second nature to you. And the Spirit of God begins growing and shaping and sanctifying you to bring you into conformity to Jesus. He wants you to be more like Christ. And he brings and introduces different elements into your life to help produce that sanctification in you. So because we're all made in God's image, but because we lost that image through the fall, but begin regaining that image through Jesus, what we should expect is that our workplace will be a place of sanctification. Think about it. This is only natural. It's a place that we spend a massive portion of our lives all day long. In our work, whatever we do, we're given opportunities to imitate Jesus. You can imitate him through the way that you work, the energy, the passion that you put into it. You can imitate him through understanding your identity. It's not all wrapped up in what I'm doing. It's wrapped up in who he is, but who I'm representing in my work. You can Imitate him with the motivation that you have for your work. He did everything he did to please the Father, and you can do the same. And the character that you demonstrate at work, it all contributes to shaping us to be more like Jesus. Sometimes people say this little kitschy, uh, little cheeky kind of thing. They say that marriage isn't meant for happiness, it's meant for holiness. You ever heard that phrase? Marriage is not meant for happiness, it's meant for holiness. And I think it is meant for happiness too. I've got to mention that. My wife goes to church here. But, <laughs> but it's definitely for our holiness as well. The idea being that, you know, you're rolling along in your single life and you think you're pretty great and then you get married and someone else points out to you real quick, like, dude, you got issues, you know. <laughs> they, come, they become unearthed because of that marital environment. And I think that the workplace does this as well. You know, you could say that you really trust God. Like, I trust God, I trust God no matter what. But at work, there'll be times where you're desperate for guidance, where you are crying out to God for provision, and that you're praying for results, you know, for effectiveness in what you're doing. Especially, I think, in our modern time where a lot of believers, you know, we have to have a conviction that I'm not going to do my work in ungodly ways. Even if that's the accepted norm in my environment, I just can't do that. That's a lot of trust that you're going to have to have in the Lord to pick up the slack or make up uh, or get your back in that process. Uh, we can say that we're patient. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty patient. I'm a real patient person, but God will bring bosses into your life to test that patience. <laughs> bring coworkers into your life. You're trying to like, we're, we're all in this together, right? Like, oh, I guess I'm kind of by myself here today. Or people that you've hired or that you're leading that will test your patience. We can say that we're content and that we're not greedy, but in the workplace, we're going to have opportunities to Set boundaries. Will you really go home when it's time to go home to see your family and to take care of your responsibilities and relationships, or will you overwork because of that desire? Will you make 
decisions that are overly risky and put everything at jeopardy because of the potential payout or will you have a contentment and make wise decisions. But we'll be challenged in our workplace and over and over again, it will provide us character shaping experiences. You know, think of a, think of a mom who's made the decision, I'm gonna you know, raise my young children. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw myself full time into that work. That's one of the most thankless jobs that there is. I know we have a Mother's Day and everything, but the kids always forget about it. <laughs> and, you know, it's pretty rare for a young child to go to their mom and say, like, I'm just so thankful for you. You do an amazing job, you know? You are really a top-notch mother. That just doesn't happen very often. But that stretching experience, it can produce significant amounts of character in a woman who previously didn't have those same elements in her life. But what I wanna say before I move on and wrap this up today is that this sanctification I'm talking about, it's not automatic. You don't just get it because you go to work or because you have work. Work, I think we could say it this way, it's either reforming you into Christ's image or it's deforming you into the opposite of Christ's image. It's either restoring you or wrecking you, ruining you, depending on how you go about your work. So I think when we show up to work prayed up, when we go into client meetings, praying and asking God for help, when the word is part of our lives, we're crying out to God, bringing our every care and concern to him, I think when we're doing that, we stand a better chance of seeing Jesus sanctify us through our professional pursuits. All right, let me close with one tiny last little way that work matters. Lastly, number five, Work matters because it's forever. Work matters because it's forever. The way we work today matters for tomorrow. Because we're made in God's image, because God expressed dominion over creation, because God invited us to have dominion over and subdue the earth, what we should expect as Christians is that even a cup of cold water delivered in Jesus' name will never be forgotten by God. And that's the guarantee that Jesus gives to us. That in our work, what we do, that even the smallest gesture done for the Lord on his behalf is something that will stand the test of all of eternity in God's sight. Tim Keller said it this way, he said, everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference and all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught unless there's a God. If the God of the Bible exists and there's a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling can matter forever. And not only can our work matter forever, I hate to break this to you, but my reading of the Bible is that we will also work forever. I don't know if you've ever seen those images of what heaven will be like by the cartoonists, you know, like everybody gets a cloud and a harp. I see those images, I'm like, no thanks. I don't wanna go there, that looks boring. What am I gonna be doing for all of eternity? I got my cloud, my harp, like is it mobile? Do I move around, like what's going on? My reading of the final chapters of Revelation is that 
chapters that are filled with Christ's reign and the new heavens and new earth is that a lot of work will be done for all of eternity. We're pictured as ruling in those chapters with Jesus. We're pictured as building nations in those chapters with Jesus. We're pictured as building societies and culture there with Jesus. And to me, this makes perfect sense. If we're made in God's image, and if God works, and if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we should expect to imitate God by working forever. Now, some of you might be bummed out by that, but here's the beautiful thing. Our work today should be giving us hope for that work tomorrow. Because our work today, there's just so many times it doesn't work right. Sin gets in the way, we make all these plans, and chaos comes into the company, we make mistakes, we take risks and they don't work out. We go bankrupt, we have failures. Like all these things happen in our work today. And when they happen, they should be stirring up a hope in us for the future in Christ's full glory and revelation of his kingdom where we will be working with him. And here's the thing, it will always work. Every endeavor will be successful and beautiful and productive and good and helpful and wonderful. So when we're feeling limited today, we need to remember our work, it points to a work that's fulfilling, that will happen and occur forever in his kingdom. So I hope that this helps you a little bit just think through the work that you're doing with your life and in your hands next week will consider why work is hard in our modern time. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.